Bang! Bang! Zoom! Walt, everyone in the laser tag arena knows where you are when you make those stupid sounds. Are you trying to lose us the match? I want to win that pizza voucher. I'm just trying to get in character. Do you need one to play laser tag? Oh man, there's people everywhere. We have to get out of here. I'm a space pirate with a heart of gold. Yeah! Walt, come on, we gotta get out of here. No, no, I'm a I'm, I'm, I'm robot trombone with a golden harp. Yeah! Walt, not everything has to be an opportunity for you to get in character and act like a weirdo. I know you love acting and improv and all that stuff, but we are in the middle of an imaginary war zone here, soldier. Imagine yourself as someone that actually knows how to win a laser tag tournament so we can get that pizza voucher. I am starving. I just want to be a silly little man. What, what if I'm the king of the domain and I'm protecting my kingdom? My laser kingdom, hey? I could be good at laser tag that way. Fine, yeah, sure, that'll do. Now let's run together, okay? I'll play properly so you don't lose us the match and you can do your character thing and scream like a maniac. We just have to keep moving so they don't find us. Now pick up your gun. Wait, you guys have guns? Why have I been carrying around this laser cannon then? Well, that's a printer. Stealing it from the staff room in the office before yeah. you <laughs> Yeah, I saw, I saw the lineup of weapons. I was like, okay, we've got like this weapon, this weapon, this weapon. Oh, staff only. <laughs> Straight on through there. Next <laughs> round, you like pick up a keyboard. And just, ah! <laughs> Welcome to the Get Commanded podcast by the Greensboro Commander community. It's the GCP by the GCC and POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. We're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James. Now, you have been with us on this ride for a long time. There is a blinking green light in front of us. We're going to hear a creepy voice that's going to tell us what we have to talk about this week. But I did want to just shout out our Patreon again because a few of you are looking at it and having chats with me about all the different benefits when I see you guys in person. So if you are considering it, it's just one click away from supporting the the amazing content that we do. There's some incredible tiers. All different kinds of stuff is on offer, including games, requesting episodes, doing a deck rebuild, mm. and Patreon shoutouts at the end of every episode. Yep. You can check all these out at patreon.com slash getcommandedpodcast. It's the best way to support what we do, but we do have that incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy, from the Space Commanders. It's time to get commanded. The Commander is an essential part of every Elder Dragon Highlander deck, but some decks require that this Commander remains on the battlefield in order for the remainder of the deck to function. More consistent and varied games may be available to you if you avoid constructing a glass cannon. I have a strong feeling that the Space Commanders are infiltrating your nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and I have had a lot of discussions about this recently, that you've battled with this problem of deck building for quite a while now. I have, and I think it's probably a good time 
for them to have asked me to look at it because I think I'm finally getting out of my phase. I mean, yeah, basically what you'd said to me so mm. many times is, well, you build decks where unless the commander's on the battlefield, nothing happens. Well, we've, we've <laughs> spoken about like the arms race that we got into when we were playing during COVID and mm. stuff like that. And I found like the best way to deal with a Walt deck is run cards like um, Imprisoned in the Moon, <laughs> Oubliette, anything that gets rid of a commander permanently uh, is like, all right, Walt's out of the game. And you yeah. can see it on your face. Like if you get board wiped or just targeted removal of your commander and now your commander costs like 15 mana to cast again, you're like, well, that's my entire turn. I now know what I'm doing is casting my commander and hope it lives. It's that shocking feeling of getting to your next turn and being like, I have to cast my commander or Otherwise, the deck doesn't work. Yeah. And so, I, yeah. I'd reckon for a long time, I reckon 90% of your decks were like that. Yeah, I think I probably agree. I think I'm yeah. starting... I think those are a lot of the decks that I've now disassembled and I've built some new decks. So maybe this is the best time mm. for me to have a look at it because I can talk about what I've done differently. Well, look, I'm happy for you to take charge in this episode because I'm now thinking of the decks you've just recently disassembled and I agree. Yeah. I strongly agree. For sure. Well, I guess the first thing we should talk about is um, those words they used at the very end of the transmission there, which was glass cannon. This mm. will be familiar to a lot of us who play a lot of games. It's a very, very common gaming term. Um, and also probably just generally, but definitely in, in, in games and especially first person shooter games. So I'd actually like to take us back to Star Wars Battlefront 2015, not 2005 or whenever that one first came mm. out. I did play I that st- game. I have strong memories of both. I was in um, like my final year of high school when this game came out. I played a lot of it instead of studying for exams. So I I'm intimately familiar with this. In my first year of uni and did the same thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So this was the, the the Electronic Arts EA Games Star Wars Battlefront in 2015. Um, it was a little bit contentious. Some people didn't like it. Some people did. Um, to, especially towards the end of its life, it was a much, much better game. Partly because... There Spoiler were... alert, Walt and I love this game. Yeah, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. And, and also the sequel that came out a few years later yeah. as well. I played a lot of that game too. But um, yeah, this game was like... It was sort of lukewarm on release, but then they released a bunch of DLCs mm. that actually made it a lot more popular. And a lot of people were like, okay, this game feels complete now. Um, and part of one of those DLCs, the first DLC, actually, the Outer Room DLC, was a character called Greedo. Oh, I now see where you're going with this story. <laughs> I, yeah, Glass Cannon, I'm with you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Greedo, for the uninitiated, is the bounty hunter from the first Star Wars film. And by that, I mean episode four, A New Hope. Mm. Uh, the bounty hunter that Han Solo shoots dead. in First, the- by the way. Yeah. <laughs> shoots first. Han shoots first. Long, long running Star Wars meme. But Han Solo shoots him dead in the Mos Eisley Cantina towards the beginning. This is the first time we ever meet Han Solo in, in Star Wars, full stop. Um, and yeah, Han Solo shoots dead this other bounty hunter. It's supposed to give us the idea of him being sort of a roguish outlaw, you mm. know, like he just shot a guy because he was after him kind yeah. of thing. Um, so Wild West vibes. Yeah, exactly. So for the game designers, when they were making him, they've got to think about how they can design a character who dies immediately in the game, <laughs> in the, the, the film that he's from. And so for, for the, the game designers, they did, I, I think they, I love what they did with this. They gave him an ability that was sort of in line with the fact that he was terribly unlucky, basically, in the film, right? He, yeah. just, he died immediately before he had the chance to do anything. So how do you, like, bring a down-on-his-luck bounty hunter to life in the films? Well, you give him no health, no defensive abilities whatsoever. So he's, like, very prone to dying all the time, but... 
He has an ability called confidence. It's literally called confidence. If you, yeah, this is definitely cowboy vibe. Like, Absolutely. no armor, but swanning in with arms out wide. Like, yeah. I'm ready for you. Yeah. Um, so basically, yeah, the, the he had this meter that would sort of run alongside his other abilities. And the more damage he dealt in combat, didn't matter how he was dealing the damage, the more powerful his abilities became, including his blaster. His blaster would actually deal more damage. Because that's logical. You know, that's how guns work. <laughs> I mean, maybe not so much, but look, it was pretty cool. So basically his blaster uh, by default was pretty bad. I think it's called like the DT-12 or something. It's like one of the regular ones you can just put on an average soldier in Battlefront. You can just like make your regular class like that. Yes. So the, the, and that was exactly what it was at Mm. the base level. It was just like a regular blaster. Didn't do much damage. Was pretty bad, really. Um, but as his confidence boosted, his blaster got way and way more powerful to the extent where he could like, at his maximum amount of confidence, he could basically like one or two shot like other heroes, like like Jedi on the other team. If he was at maximum confidence, he would be like one, two, you're dead kind of thing. I think this is an absolute flavor win, firstly for the design, like of mm. the character, like as, as a character being, you know, he he got shot, died immediately, but you know he's a very strong bounty hunter because he's mm. in Jabba's group and clan and, like, he's clearly got a lot of kills under his name. He's very well respected. Yeah. So he's clearly a confident dude. It's mm. just Han was quicker. Yeah, straight <laughs> up. Um, so the other thing that was scale with his confidence was his grenade. So that was his one of his oh, main yeah, abilities. He did have- yeah. He so, had like a gas grenade to start with. Yeah, it was deoxys gas, which is mm. just like toxic gas in, yeah. in the Star Wars universe. So that was his default grenade. So again, no confidence as to what that's doing. It was okay. Like it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't ideal. Mm. Um, as it leveled up, it became a thermal detonator. So this mm. is the the sort of just like frag grenade of the Star Wars universe. Like it has a timer, it blows up. Like yep. That's it. Um, then it became an impact grenade. So this is what it sounds like. You throw it, it blows up on impact. So this could one shot someone a lot of the time. And then it became a thermal imploder, which was this massive and very satisfying sound design, by the way. Grenade. Yeah, it goes sort of... Oh, yeah, exactly yeah. like that. Watch Mandalorian for the sound of that. Oh, uh, that, so yeah, no, yeah. Not quite, st- um, you know, the, what's, like, Jungo Fett's ship level. Oh, cool. that, that's the, like, that was next level. I think it's called, like, a sonic imploder, that one. That one is really, really cool. It's like cool. a sonic boom when a jet plane Yeah, It's really, up. really cool. But it's a similar amount of satisfaction, for sure. I remember Greedo in, like, this game, and I remember it was, like, only be able, you only could pilot Greedo if you were really, really good at playing him. Because, like, anyone that was, like, a novice at piloting Greedo died immediately. But if you could actually get his confidence levels up, one-shotting people with grenades from, like, across the map, Mm. oh, so good. Yeah, you have to be really cautious right at the bat because you knew he would just die if you weren't careful. Mm. So you had to pick off weak enemies, like, early, (laughs) which was also kind of flavorful for a bit of a coward of a bounty hunter. Like, he's sort of a bit, like, you know, reserved and stuff. Um, so yeah, basically he was very, very prone to dying, but if he survived and dealt a bunch of damage, he would almost always wreck the entire team. I used to play in Star Wars Battlefront 2015, there was a, um, game mode called like Hero Assault or like Hero Battle or something. Oh, we can pick each. Yeah. It's like four heroes v four heroes. Yeah. 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 So you only play the hero. So basically the like Jedi and bounty hunters and stuff were like, basically like super, you had to unlock them in the regular game modes, yeah. and then you could only play them for a limited amount of time, and then you'd run out. And there's only one allowed on the map of each kind. Yeah. And yeah, I love that mode as well. I would always get frustrated when everyone picks a lightsaber wielder, mm. and then there's one person with a blaster, and you're like, you ruined the whole thing. <laughs> we it was lightsabers had- only. <laughs> could have had such a vibe. Yeah. yeah, it's true. But yeah, so basically in that game mode, if he could pick off one hero, he would often pick off 
all of them. Like, he would single-handedly take down the entire opposing team. Look, I know we've just had a chat about a completely different game to the one this podcast is about for, like, five, ten minutes, but I hope the listeners are now picking up on what you're putting down Mm. with what this translates to in Commander. Yeah. If you're a glass cannon deck, that's the vibe of what Greedo was in 2015 Battlefront Mm. is what your deck is at the table. It is incredibly delicate, but if it can get going and get there, it will explode your opponents. Yeah, exactly. So I think think the definition we can take out of this of a glass cannon is um, a powerful weapon for dealing damage, but one that's very sensitive to interference. Yeah, it is a glass cannon. It's a cannon. It can blow you up, but it's made of glass. You throw a rock at it and... Yep. Down it goes. Exactly. Um, I would like to take one final thing away from this Greedo thing here, which was actually what happened online when Greedo was released. Mm. So basically, I was on the, the big Star Wars Battlefront subreddit of, of Reddit. And of course you are, because you never play a game just for enjoyment. You have to be no. like, in, in, <laughs> in the game. the community. A spike on every level. <laughs> <laughs> Straight up. Um, and basically what happened is when he was released... There were so many clips of Greedo, basically clips of someone playing Greedo taking down like 10 people and people were like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. I love Greedo. This is so cool. All those clips stopped getting bunch of bunches of upvotes because everyone knew he could do it. So like, everyone targets Greedo the second yeah, they well, see a Greedo. Like it, it was not only that, like totally it would very rarely happen because mm. people would be like, just kill Greedo and then you can't, don't yeah. have to worry about it. It was also just that like everyone had done it at that point. Like I had a Greedo clip of me taking down like four heroes. Like everyone I knew had a Greedo clip like that. And so it wasn't very interesting anymore because we always saw it happen in exactly the same way. So, hint, hint for Commander. Yeah, it's really funny that this kind of lines up with um, our deck building philosophies as well because I actually hated playing Greedo. I could really? I could never get maybe I was playing Greedo too late after like maybe if I played Greedo when he originally came out, mm. I could have been a better pilot for him, like playing him, like getting the confidence level up. Yeah. But now when everyone started realizing you just kill Greedo on site, you just mm. have to hit him, everyone gang up, or otherwise he's gonna be too powerful. Yeah, I sucked. <laughs> I I think I got like the impact detonator once. Yeah, and like one one shot at like a like a baby one hero, but mm. like yeah, that was Pe- it. People knew you just got to kill him straight yeah. away, and that's again similar to Commander <laughs> as well. So should we 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 should turn our focus should back, to back to Commander, Commander now? It was a long tangent for sure, and that was the uh, Get Commanded Battlefront podcast. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed. <laughs> um, so yeah, like you were saying, Glass Cannon and Commander is basically the, a commander that makes the entire deck work, but the deck sort of shatters. Glass cannon. Uh, if the commander is removed, it doesn't mm. really work. And uh, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, I have built many commander decks like this, and I've recently disassembled a few of them. I'd like to use two of them as specific examples for this episode. Sure. Um, Tigam Ojutai Master is um, one. I was quite sad to see this one go, but really, yeah, I yeah, it was a spell slinger deck, so I was enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. So basically, um, Tigam Ojutai Master is a three four, and when he attacks until end of turn, when you cast an instant sorcery spell from your hand, it gains rebound. So mm-hmm. it goes into exile, and in your upkeep, you cast it again for free. So like the the whole point of this commander is like doubling the value of your spells. Yeah, so it's time. Times twoing everything. Even like a preordain, Squire two, draw a card. Doing that twice for one blue mana. So much value. So much, and so you see so many cards as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you could do some really disgusting things with like a removal extra spell. turns. Oh. Can be can be really good. Removal spells yep. are also really really good in a deck like this. Um. 
but yeah, basically once it got got started, like once he was attacking and we had the rebound triggers happening. Well, once there was a couple of spells in the rebound zone, like when it was mm. in exile, ready to be rebounded on that next turn, you're like, okay, there's a lot of magecraft stuff on the battlefield and Walt's about to get all this value for free. Yeah. I don't know what to do here. Yeah, it was really difficult to stop once it once it got going. Um, and the other deck I just assembled recently that was sort of similar was um, Sisse with like Captain. Mm, tutor in the command zone in five colors. Yeah. Fun. It, <laughs> yeah. So Sisse's a, a, a three mana. I think she's a two, two, but she gets plus one, plus one for each um, color among other permanents you control. So if you've got a black permanent and a red permanent then she gets plus two plus two mm-hmm. and etc uh and you can pay wooberg so white blue black red green and you can search your library for a legendary permanent card with mana value less than her power and put it on the battlefield straight up yeah it's really powerful it is it, and you like there's a bunch of different ways you can build this um some people build it as like super friends you mm. went down the shrines route yeah which was really cool way to build it and like since then like you know go shintai is now just an objectively better commander it to is. play yeah but Oh, I really liked how this deck worked. It was like, Mm. it was so consistent in what it was looking for. Yeah. Got the colors up really quickly because a lot of the shrines are pretty cheap. So Mm. you can shoot them out pretty quickly. Yeah. Then get the power up and then get the Sanctum of All. And Mm. yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. Sanctum of All was the win con for sure. Mm. So that one doubles your shrine triggers once you've got six or more. But yeah, it was a really fun deck to build because you have to build like a legendary curve and they have to be different colors as well like you actually can't build it as like a three color shrines deck you have to have the All five colors because you got to get enough power on Sisse that you can then shoot a sanctum of all so yeah. it was really cool but yeah Sisse had to be on the battlefield i had to have the other legendary permanents and then i had to have wooberg before the deck even really started to work yeah i think there was a couple of times where you know Sisse was either removed or couldn't be activated was one game that i specifically Mm. remember someone had like a stacks effect something like that and you were just like casting one spell from your hand because you could afford it Mm. in your hand you weren't like actually playing the deck how it wanted to play it's literally like what do i even have yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so um those are sort of glass cannons i think uh what do the space commanders think we would find if we moved away from the glass cannon well the the words they used were consistent and varied games which is interesting because it's sort of, that sounds a bit like a contradiction, don't you think? Well, I mean, consistent means the same. Variation is different. Yes. So yes, it is a bit of a It's a bit of a dichotomy. contradiction. Yeah. So I think what, what they mean by this is, so the way we've t- heard these terms talked about in the past, we talked about both of these terms before on the podcast a few times. Mm. Consistency is usually something we associate with powerful cards that always work. Um, and typically we see those in like higher powered get decks. We yeah. talk about like how consistency can up the power of your deck in the form of tutors, for instance. Or even mana acceleration, like yeah. really efficient, um, like fast mana. We yeah. say that ups your consistency because you can cast things earlier and more frequently. And there's lots of different ways a deck can be more consistent. But generally on this podcast, we've said if your deck is more consistent, it is more powerful because it's yeah. doing the thing more often. Yeah, exactly. Um, and on the flip side of that, variance is something we've talked about um, um, especially recently, as something that is a really important part of lower-powered um, casual commander games for both of us, I think. Yeah, well, we just talked about it um, in the Impactful Cards episode, yeah. um, where we said, you know, like, yes, you can run cards that are, you know, always going to do something, but sometimes playing a lesser powerful version of the effect means you have to find more interesting ways to make it better, mm. or, like, use it in a very specific situation, which you know, challenges you as a player, but also can create some really interesting lines of play just for yourself and for your pod as well. Yeah. You know, players have to play around you playing this weird way 
to find their own weird way to contradict what you're doing. Yeah, we, we, we love variants yeah. is the, is the yeah. takeaway there for sure. It's fun is it, what we refer to. It definitely, definitely is fun. And But I think the key thing here is usually we have described things as being either consistent or varied, but not both. Like, we even have contrasted these two things. When we did the card draw versus tutors episode, mm. we literally were talking about how card draw could up... Playing card draw instead of tutors could up your variance and lower your consistency, which could be a good thing for, for certain power levels. Mm. But it's, it's interesting, you know, when, when... If you think back to the card draw versus tutor episode, we said when you take out tutors, you have to put in more card draw to keep your deck going consistently. If you mm. take out all the tutors but don't increase your card draw... It's going to be way less consistent. Yeah. But if you up that card draw to counteract removing the tutors, you are going to have a more consistent deck. So, yeah, by increasing your card draw and taking out tutors, you're making a more consistent but more varied deck. Yeah. That, well, yeah. basically, the this this dichotomy is not such a dichotomy, basically, yeah. is, the, is the takeaway. So, in terms of the glass cannon... A glass cannon is inconsistent because it's not resilient, right? Mm. Sometimes you get to fire your shot and sometimes the cannon blows up. So that's the inconsistency yeah. that we're talking about. You can't accept, expect similar performance every game when some games your command is going to be removed and some games it's not, right? Yeah, 100%. So that's where the inconsistency is going to come from. But also, the glass cannon, I would like to argue, is not very varied because... When your deck starts to work, like the games where it does work, because again, it's inconsistent they tend to look the same because your deck revolves around this single card in your command zone. So your win cons, your strategies, your enhancers yeah. are all built to go in this singular direction. So yeah, kind of a glass cannon deck is both inconsistent and also not very varied. And mm. th those that's kind of the worst of both worlds, right? Yes, I think, yeah, I think this is a really interesting, like kind of... The glass cannon analogy, thinking about like a glass cannon, when you when you blow a cannon into a side of a ship, it produces a big hole. You know what that hole is going to be because you know the size of the, the cannonball that's being fired from it. Mm. The difference between a glass cannon and an armory style commander deck where you have multiple different guns for multiple mm. different situations, like, you know, I've got the... I'm not a gun person. I've got the shotgun. <laughs> I'm, I've got the shotgun for the close range combat tight corridor type thing. And then I've got a sniper rifle for my long range type thing. That's an armory. They're two different weapons completely. Mm. A sniper rifle won't work in close range situations. No. But a shotgun will. And if your deck can, has both of those, you know it will work. But to be honest, if you fire a cannon in a hallway... You're going to kill the guy. If you fire a cannon at a ship a mile away, you're still probably going to kill the guy. Yeah. It's, I think it's the... For me, we've talked about like the word fun a lot. Mm. And I think the consistency part and the variance side is a big part of this podcast's fun kind of measuring stick. I agree. But I think the glass cannon is probably one of the least fun to play when you're winning. I think yeah. most decks that you play when you're winning, you're having a lot of good fun because you're like, ah, my deck's doing the perfect thing for this perfect moment. The glass cannon is awesome. I lit the fuse. Yeah. And it, and it fired. And it's firing <laughs> yeah. in that same direction it always fires in. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And yeah, this is basically what we learned from Greedo, right? Eventually, if you keep on firing the same way every time, it stops being interesting. Walt's either a shill for EA <laughs> or just really misses Battlefront. I, I'm sure I've been called a shill for EA, EA before <laughs> in my time. It's a very easy uh, name to get called. Yeah, true. Um, so, how do we avoid the glass cannon? Well, we're going to find out after 
our thrifty interlude. Our thrifty interlude. So we've got lots of stuff to cover, including building uh, a commander that isn't a glass cannon, and also a little discussion of Voltron, which is obviously going to be a very important part of this discussion. Yeah, we haven't said the word Voltron yet, but that no. is like the definition of a glass cannon. Yeah, we'll Can definitely... one-shot someone no matter what their life is? Mm, I can't wait. All we'll right. definitely talk about that. So before that, we did need to hear a little something about a thrifty card. So as is tradition, I will be bringing this card to life in monologue form. Uh, this week, it'll be another appearance from our friend, the Cowled Merchant. Uh, James, would you like to read the episode's card? Mm, I'm loving the fact that this guy has a name now. I want to meet him. The Cowled Merchant? Yeah. Yeah. I hear him, but never. I want to meet him in person. Great. <laughs> um, I actually personally love this card because it is another card that you can leave two blue open for. Um, it's <laughs> Nurok Stealth Suit. It's an artifact equipment for two generic mana, and the equipped creature has Shroud. It has an equip cost of one generic mana, but it also has an activated ability for blue, blue, attach Neurox Stealth Sloot to target creature you control. We're being a little bit sneaky today, just quietly in my slippery, quiet suit. It's very quiet and shiny and reflective to keep us hidden. What will we do with this abundance of silence? Why, we'll do whatever we want! Oh, excuse me, I forgot. We need to speak quietly, or the little gremlins will get us. Perhaps even a troll, or a bat, or my sister. Tonight, in my silver sneaking suit, I'll be stealing candy from a baby, because I want to know what all the fuss is about. How about a bit of shushy shushy? That's what my parents said to me every night, and every night I'd tell them, my parents died years ago! Get out of here, you stupid ghosts! So the cow merchant has a sister. Uh, confirmed. Confirmed. It's in the, in law. the law. Definitely. <laughs> this card, though, I love. I said it before, but leaving two blue open mm. for either counter spell that's in your hand or yeah. giving protection to a creature at instant speed. Mm. It's nice. Mm, I think we talked card. about it in the Philosophy of Blue episode how nice it is to leave up mana and have a mana outlet for it no matter yeah. what. Like, if you don't cast your counter spell, crack a clue. Or, yeah, in this case... Just sh- give protection and... Chuck Shroud yeah. on something. Yeah, so like, I mean, it basically represents a... a, a um, counterspell like mm, two blue yeah if someone's going to remove something you have like permanent counterspell on the battlefield and you can just shift it around the the, the way mm. that it because it's not the equip ability it can no. be done at instant speed yeah. in combat through your opponent's turns mm, I love yeah. this it's, a, it's not a card that you understand when you're kind of new to commander because you're sort of like why does it have two act- equip abilities like what's the difference between the two ones one says equip one says attach and it's like oh actually equip is always sorcery speed unless it says otherwise yeah. whereas blue blue Attach is instant speed. I remember when someone told me for the first time that you can't equip at instant speed. And yeah. I just hated equipment from there on out. I was like, well, this is stupid. Then again, <laughs> uh, we have forged a new, the new Lord of the Rings car that's just come out. This lets you equip at instant speed. Oh, it does too. Yeah, and, you, oh and the first in- equip ability you pay each turn costs zero mm. as well. So actually with with uh, this... Neurox Elves, dude, yeah. Even better. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, you can see uh, these posts released on every Thursday in our Discord server in the Thrifty Thursday channel if you'd like to see those as they come out and you can also follow us over on TikTok at GetCommanded to see some of those Roger, uh, video form where we do strange dialogues and monologues and that kind of thing so mm. definitely follow us on there if you want to see those as well and some other exciting stuff that will be coming out in the next month or so on yeah. there which is super exciting but um, let's get back to the command sure. we're talking about glass cannons mm-hmm. um, specifically Walt's failures of decks 
I've, I've had so many glass cannons. Look, they're like, this is the thing about the glass cannon. I've seen them work and explode, but I have seen them crumble to bits mm. and make you miserable. Well, I'm tired of playing them. Yes. Is the, is the gist of it, yeah. which is why I've built some decks that weren't it. So yeah, basically we talked a lot about what a glass cannon is. So now we're sort of going to look at how do you actually build a deck that isn't a glass cannon? How do you build a deck where the commander isn't necessarily a requirement of the deck working at all. Yeah, don't go onto Walt's Moxfield lists. Go to mine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you can go to some of my Moxfield lists because my l- two most recent decks, I think, tread this line reasonably well. Um, oh, I think you really forced yourself to do it. I did. Yeah. I definitely did. And um, th- but these two decks actually uh, replaced and are similar to the two decks I talked about earlier. So I talked about my Tie Game Ojutai Master deck. Which is like a Spell Slinger deck. Yep. And I talked about my Sisse with Light Captain deck, which Enchantress. is my Enchantress yep. Trines kind of thing. Um, I've replaced them with Katilda and Leah and Estrid the Masked. So we'll start with Katilda and Leah. So Katilda and Leah is a three mana human. It's in Bant, so it's green, white, and blue. Uh, that says, whenever you cast a human spell, target instant or sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback until end of turn. The flashback cost is equal to its mon- the spell's mana value. So basically, mm-hmm. yeah, cast a human. If you've got that, that one mana preordain in, in your graveyard, give that flashback for a single blue until end of turn. Flash it back, you get to do it again. So it's similar to Tygam, yep. right? Where it's giving you the ability Double to value. use spells again. Yep. You know, that's that's a good thing for Spellslinger decks. But importantly, I don't need Katilda and Leah on the battlefield for the deck to work. I can just cast spells, right? Yes. You'll include spells that are good value, and then you'll include humans that are good value without your commander. Yeah. Maybe like an, I'm assuming Archeomancers in the deck yeah. to like get back an instant or sorcery. Exactly. So you don't need Katilda and Leah to actually have the deck function. It, no. It casts spells without it. Yeah, and actually you can do what I've uh, sort of built the curve to do, and this sort of goes back to our mana curve thing, is all my early plays are spells. Fill up the graveyard. Yeah, I want to fill up the graveyard with a bunch of different options so that when I cast Katilda and Leah, then start casting humans, I can get all those spells back and I have sort of have a few to to choose from. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's been a blast. It's been really, really fun. And yeah, when Katilda and Leah is removed, I can still do human tribal things and I can still do spell slinger things. Um, Importantly, to contrast this with Tygam... In Tie Game, I could still cast Instant or Sorceries, obviously, when he wasn't giving things rebound. Mm-hmm. But they felt like wasted opportunities, right? Like, if I'm casting an extra turn spell, mm. and I could have cast Tie Game and done, done that next turn, I'm like, man, I could have taken two extra turns instead. I see what you're saying here. It's like, Katilda and Leah are like, how to make the deck better. Like, you know, it just puts a little bit of the extra spice flavor in the deck mm. and kind of, it turns the wheels a little bit quicker. But Tie Game explodes that engine like yeah. it's like it's the difference between like putting you know your foot down a little bit on the accelerator with Katilda and Lear mm. and Tygam is like someone firing a rocket out the back of the car and just yeah and so everything you're doing without Tygam feels like you're you know riding a Vespa just like yeah. teetering around and pottering along I think I'd even go further and say that the the Tygam deck um Tygam is the engine so, like, I can roll downhill without my engine, and I can steer, <laughs> yeah. but I can't drive, I can't go, I can't t- accelerate. I think there's a lot to say about Tiger Game's effect and how powerful it is then. I think it's that game warping. I think it's so strong that everything that you do without him feels like a wet napkin. Yeah. Like, you know, you could cast, like, Crush Contraband, and it feels 
fine. Like it yeah. feels like, you know, you're, you're removing a couple of things. You re- you cast it with Tigam on field and it feels like you're taking a machine gun to the table. Yeah, straight yeah. up. Whereas, yeah, with Katilda and Leah, I would say, if, you know, continuing the car analogy, we always come back to car analogy. I think it works funny. really well. It does work really well. It sort of is how a deck is made. It's got yeah. components and then it goes. But um, I think with Katilda and Leah, yeah, I reckon... I reckon there's sort of the, you know, the lubricant in the engine or, or the... Yeah, it makes it run smoother. Yeah. Gets it flowing a little bit better. It's it's something that that keeps it moving forwards, but it's not the thing that makes it move forwards, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. That's a... Yeah, I, and, and playing against Targam, I definitely felt that as well. Mm. I felt that if Targam wasn't on field, you ca- you're casting a preordain, which is like good in pauper <laughs> in commander on turn six a preordain yeah. is on pretty its own, sad not so actually good. Yeah. yeah it's true and think about as well how much more varied this was the the word that the space commanders you just used how much more varied the katilda and leah games will be in terms of what my strategy can look like like mm. i can do human things mm. i can do spell things i can cast things with flashback i can like there's so many options available to yeah. me are you considering horn of gondor from the new lord of the rings set the one that... i did think about horn yeah. of gondor the funny thing is human tokens aren't that good in the deck because you want to be casting humans yeah it doesn't trigger the commander yeah, right? yeah okay, whereas there's actually a, a spell from the um from the lord of the rings set that's a human and it says whenever a human enters the battlefield under your control tap target creature and opponent controls and in your upkeep make a 1-1 human and that one i'm nice. considering more heavily because it think, is a human it itself. is a human itself yeah, so i can I get, get those triggers on it but yeah there's a few different cards from lord of the rings i'm looking at for sure i, I we're actually going for, for context it's pre-release weekend um, yes we're going to a pre-release after we Directly finish recording we're gonna hit stop not edit and leave yeah <laughs> we are very excited about that um i think also the the greedo effect i want to say was mm. definitely a big factor in me disassembling Tigam. Um, I felt like it always played the same. You talked before about how you were sad to see the deck go because it was Spell Slinger, but would you agree with me that, like, in terms of the the direction the deck would go in, it was pretty much the same every time? It right? was the exact same every time. The yeah. reason I think I was sad to see it go was because it's a type of deck that I've not seen you play before. This, like, yeah. you know, storm storming out, having a bunch of cast triggers, yeah. keeping on top of all your triggers in that way. I really liked seeing you play a different style of deck. Mm. However... On the flip side of that, I think the deck was so linear yeah. that it was like watching you... Yeah, it was like, you know, I'm going to face my fears and bungee jump. Mm. And now I've done it once. I'm going to bungee jump every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming by the 100th bungee jump, you're like, we <laughs> Like, it's not as entertaining. No fear here anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the point here that I want to take away from from turning Tygame into Kiltilda and Leah is to build a deck where the commander isn't essential to the deck functioning. So instead, your commander makes the deck slightly better. And again, Mm. this is just a guide. Like, you can build glass cannons, but know what you're doing when you build one. And also, yeah, I'm going to argue that that the options you have and the decks that you'll stick around with a lot longer are the ones where you have lots of different options. Well, we've talked about this in the deck building episode where we talk about, think of the role that your commander's playing. Yeah. Is Is it the enhancer of the deck or is it going to like grease the wheels or is mm. it is it going to be the win con is it like yeah. you know Kamal Heart of Krosa for example is like I'm going to cast this at the very end of the game yeah to that'll win. win the game yeah but I'm never casting it in the middle of the game no the rest of the game will be about other stuff but, until I get to Kamal but for example if you're playing like a Miram deck that dragon the team of dragon that doubles all of your dragons oh uh, yeah you make token copies of dragons yeah that's a similar thing to Tigam, right it's mm. like if I don't have Miram on the battlefield every dragon I cast 
is, is a waste just of a dragon. It's just one dragon. It's true, yeah. yeah. And I think you you could contrast uh, a commander like Mirim with like Prosper Tomebound, mm. which is like it's still like it, it makes the deck go. And you want bit. it on the battlefield for sure. You want it on the battlefield, but like a Prosper deck without Prosper can do okay. Like it's usually gonna mm. do treasure things or it's gonna do casting from exile yeah. things. Like you can still make the wheels turn. It just go, doesn't go slightly, it's quite as fast, but it's not essential like Mirim. And I think there's like, you know, for example, in Prosper Tonebound, there's a lot of cards in your deck. Like, for example, Zorn. Yeah. You know, if you're going down that treasure route, Zorn's not your commander, but getting Zorn out on the battlefield, that increases the speed of things. Mm. You know, if you're doing, um, you know, uh, like the casting from exile style of Prosper Tonebound deck, if you're getting like a wild magic mage, or wild, is it wild magic mage? The wild- one that says... The first oh. spell you cast from exile each turn well, has cascade. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. from the D and D set. Yeah, I, I played in my deck. I forget what it's called. It's Wild Magic something. Wild Magic Sorcerer. Sorcerer, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, but like if you get him on the battlefield, you're like, oh, sweet. Like now, now my deck's being greased with this uncommon or like yeah. rare non-legendary creature. Mm. So like, I hope you're getting the idea that like the the commander shouldn't be the thing that is the only thing that makes you do the thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah there is exactly other ways right. to do the thing. Yeah. Do I, I'm interested actually in your decks. Do, mm. do you think, which of your decks do you think have essential commanders? Like ones where the deck doesn't work without it. When, when I was thinking about this in mm. advance, I was thinking um, Yuriko immediately. I, wow. That was the first one that popped to mind. Yeah. I, it, straight up, the deck doesn't do anything really without no. Yuriko. If, if anything, actually, if, if I've had a game where Yuriko has been oublieded before, yeah. and I have had like a bunch of ways to manipulate the top of my library, mm-hmm. a bunch of unblockable 1-1s, bunch and of ninjas probably as no, well. No, it was a, a bit of a different situation. No ninjas. So I was just tapping people for one, no way to ninja to win. And then cards like expropriate, where I have four or five mana available to me. <laughs> Scion of Draco, um, Shadow of Mortality, all these huge mana spell, like, mana cost cards that don't do anything without Mm. Yuriko. And, like, yeah, I think that Yuriko is one that jumped to mind. One that I've played a lot recently that I think is, like, the opposite of this is Scarab God. I played Scarab God recently where, like, Scarab God's incredible, and once it's down, it can do some really amazing things with the graveyard and Mm. has a kind of win-con staple to it of killing people in the upkeep triggers with how many zombies you control. But the deck doesn't need Scarab God to function. Mm. It does zombie things. It does graveyard things without it. I think Scarab God is kind of, in in your particular build, it's more a win-con than it is, like, the deck. Mm. And so I think that's why it functions so well without him. Because you are doing other mill things. You're doing other reanimate things, zombie things. Like, you have other ways you can go that don't feel bad without your commander. Yeah. I think it's interesting. (laughs) Yuriko being essential is fine. Because it's it's, so cheap. (laughs) And (laughs) it never pays free. In command it's attacks. two mana every single time if you have an unblocked creature. It's really good. I think thinking of other decks that are in this vein of like, you know, that are the, the thing that gets the wheels turning. Mm-hmm. We've talked about my Tornos deck a lot recently. Yeah. I think Tornos is one of those types of commanders, specifically the way I've built my Tornos <laughs> deck, because I've built with a really weird, very slow, very bad sub theme <laughs> of charge counters i love it though i really like enjoy watching you play this deck i think it's it's quintessential james it sure. is and it's definitely trying to do something that sh- should be bad but making it really good yes but in saying that the only way to make these charge counters good is by copying the ability with tornos so you need tornos i out. need tornos out yeah. so look and he's not too bad because he is only two mana to cast he also comes in with haste as well so i can yeah. choose 
the right moment to bring him in, which yeah. is kind of nice. But yeah, without Tornos, I've I've had Tornos removed a couple of times and like he's like seven to like a six to cast or eight to cast, whatever. I'm like, I'm not going to spend my entire turn to cast this commander because it will get removed or it will die. But everything on my board is really bad without copying it. Like yeah. I have like, for example, you know, like Golden a lot Urn. Golden Urn, for example. I could tap and sacrifice it to gain six life, but it would have been twelve yeah. with Tornos. Or like Lux Cannon. I could tap that three times to get a counter on it to blow mm. up one target permanent. Yeah, not so good. No, it's terrible, actually. <laughs> it's actually woeful. <laughs> the whole reason of like the, the sub theme being it's bad charge counters means that it's good when Tornos is down. Yeah, for sure. So it is a bit of a glass cannon in that effect. Yeah. I think like I don't want people to leave and think you can't build essential decks with a commander is essential. Mm. You just gotta know what kind of deck you're building when you build one. And you have to be prepared to play it too. Yeah. And I think at at the very least, don't build only decks like that. Because mm. you will have a lot of fun if you build decks where it's not. Um, as we'll discuss some more as well. Mm. So the other one of the decks that I replaced was my CSA with like Captain Deck. I replaced it with Estrid the Mask. Your first Planeswalker commander. Yeah, it was a good milestone. I actually specifically went out of my way to build a Planeswalker. I hadn't done it before. So this is from a pre-con from a couple of years ago, maybe, maybe three or four now. Um, basically, it's a four-mana Planeswalker. It's Bant. I'm going to guess the text here. I don't have it in front of me. But it's um has an uptick ability to untap each enchanted permanent you control. has a downtick to basically create a totem armor token on something. So this is that aura that when it... Um, when a creature that has this aura on it dies, you can sack the aura instead. It's called a mask, but it's mm. yeah, basically a totem armor token. Or its ultimate is you mill 10 and then you return all non-aura enchantments to the battlefield. And then you do the same for aura cards. You were so close. It yeah. was the top seven. Top seven, that's right. You're so close. I'm thinking of Breach the Multiverse. It's been on my mind recently. Yeah. And she comes in with three loyalty yeah. as well. And the, the, the ultimate's like seven or something like yeah. very high. next seven. Very hard to get to. But so it's mostly not doing that. So basically the way that I... I built the deck. There's a load of land auras on there mm. so that you can basically use Estrid to ramp. You can like cast Estrid, untap all your enchanted permanents, tap them again because the lands are enchanted. That's a lot of mana as it's well. Like really when you cool. do a Utopia Sprawl or something like that. Yeah. Doubling. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. I no, like it's, it's, it's really, really fun. And then the totem armor is obviously going to um, protect stuff, which it does reasonably well. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, like mostly this is just enhancing my gameplay, right? Like none of these things are so busted on their own that the deck could be built around them, really. And that's well, actually what I wanted. The interesting thing is in Bant for Enchantress, there is a plethora of commanders that could be objectively stronger in the command zone Definitely. than Estrid. Yet you've chosen Astrid specifically so you can put those really powerful alternative legendary creatures in the 99 mm. and then they kind of like function as an enhancer in the deck, yeah. make it really strong. But Astrid's in there to kind of like, yeah, push forward the deck a little bit, yeah. help you along. And she's only four mana as well, which I mm. actually think is a really good rate for what her effect is. It definitely is. It definitely is. And Planeswalkers are great because they give you options as well. Mm. So they're good at different times in the game. But yeah, like if you contrast this with Sisse which was that tutor in the command zone, like literally repeatable tutor, um, you f- you find your synergy pieces like immediately because you have the ability to just pull them out and get them, right? Yeah. Whereas with Estrid, I actually had to build synergy into the 99 cards that mm. form the rest of the deck, right? Yeah. I have to be able to rely on the cards that are just in my deck to find synergy with each other. So actually, I I had to build a very... It was quite careful. I had to carefully construct the deck. 
It's not like most decks where you can sort of like go, oh, card draw, my commander does that. I don't really need to include very much of that. Or like, oh, ramp, my commander does that. Don't need much of that. Where you can sort of like remove cards from your deck and make yeah. room for other things. Couldn't really do that with Estrid. Yeah, I think Planeswalkers... A lot of the Planeswalkers that can be your commanders that I'm thinking of now are actually a really good way to force you to to do this. Mm. I think because, yeah, you have to kind of rely on the 99 a lot more. because. And the other thing is Planeswalkers and Commander, as we've talked about, are pretty delicate. They're yeah. not going to stick around that long. No. Um, so, you yeah. can't rely on them to you, build the deck around. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard to protect a Planeswalker as well. Yeah. You can't, you have to basically block in combat to protect it. You can't give yep. it swift foot boots. No. And give it, you know, or like, you know, just not choose to not block with a creature mm. with your commander. It's yep. a lot more prone to being removed. So I think this forces you to put the synergy in the 99, mm. not in the command zone. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, basically the, the things I, I focused on having lots of in the 99 were um, Enchantress effects. So these are like the cast an enchantment, draw a yeah. card style things. Mesa Enchantress, Citizen's Champion, yeah. a billion others. Wanted to make sure I had the ability to draw lots of cards. Um, I had to make sure I had plenty of win cons because mm-hmm. the commander doesn't really do that unless I ultimate and that's not something you should rely on in commander with Planeswalkers. Um, so Sigil of the Empty Throne. That's sick. That creates 4-4 four, four angels, right? It does when you yeah. cast it enchantments. Archon of Sun's Grace. This is the same uh, The same, but makes 2-2 two, two Pegasus with lifelink, mm-hmm. uh, but it's Constellation, so it's an ETB trigger from the enchantments, but similar. Uh, Heavenly Blade Master is one. Have you, have you seen this card before? No, I don't think I have. It's a six-mana creature. When it enters the battlefield, you can attach any number of auras and equipment to it. And Could you slide all of your masks onto it? I could. That's pretty funny. <laughs> and then it says creatures you control, maybe other creatures you control, get plus one, plus one for each aura and equipment on heavenly blade master whoa yeah so you Holy put like hell. four equipment on it and then it's like just a static plus four plus four to your entire board that's insane super super sweet so there's a few different win cons there and then i also included a bunch of different creatures that wanted to get suited up with auras like um cold eyed selkie mm-hmm. this is the one where you draw cards equal to it's um the damage it deals to your opponents yeah that's uh, a great card yep uh aura Narlid. this is the one that gets um i think plus two plus two for every aura that's on it Mm. Um, so putting a bunch of auras on this makes it really, really big. <laughs> is Core Spirit Dancer in the deck? Core Spirit, Spirit Dancer is quite expensive. Is it actually. really? Yeah, okay. yeah. I was, um, I was shocked. I remember that card being like a couple of dollars, and I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, that seems like a good card in the deck. It's like eight or nine bucks, I think. Fair enough. I don't think it's seen a reprint for no, a while. I think it got one. reprinted in Jumpstart. I think it also see might see play in like modern. I think there might be a modern. Oh list yeah, that uses like it. Hammer yeah. Time list. Oh yeah, yeah that'd yeah, be why. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And also, Cold Eye Selkie has Island Walk, right? I'm it does. Right yeah, card. yeah. So good. So you that card can kill someone out of nowhere. Absolutely. It's it's the perfect card for making yeah. bigger in some way um but yeah this this basically like really made me stretch my deck building muscles a lot because mm. i couldn't rely on anything in the command zone so i had to make sure i was including enough synergy with just the 99 cards in the deck right yeah. i had to make sure there were cards that put auras on stuff cards that wanted to get auras put on them win cons like you know i had to be really careful i think there is a lot to say about forcing yourself to use a planeswalker as a commander as well because like when we choose a legendary creature usually it's got one one line of text on it and that tells you how to build the deck yeah so it says like you know for example uh tornos is a good example of this copy target activated or triggered ability from an artifact yeah i'm like okay i want artifacts that trigger and activate mm. but if my commander was like duretti for example yeah it just says like artifact good yeah it's much more general and it allows you to kind of 
be a little bit more creative in your deck building and yep. making sure that the synergy pieces are there. It's not the win con in the command zone. No. It's not the card draw in the command zone. Yep. It can be a little bit of everything in the command zone. But because it's a little bit, it's not reliant. you're not relying on it. Mm. So yeah, I think choosing to build Estrid as opposed to any of the other hundreds of band commanders that are probably stronger as an Enchantress Commander. Mm. Props. Thank you. Good job. <laughs> I haven't played against this yet, so I'm uh, actually really keen to see it. It was really interesting. I think because of this deck building challenge of it, uh, knowing it, the Commander didn't do very much, I, I started introducing it to people and being like, I think it's pretty bad. Because I also built it really quickly. I, just, I didn't take as much time as I normally take. I actually vaguely remember you were going to do the singles order for Katilda and Lear, and yes. then you smashed Estrid out I literally and just built put it, it in the order. I had it like mostly built, and then I finished it in like an afternoon, and was like, yeah. I just built it as a first draft, and I can upgrade it later and um <laughs> Katilda and Leah not very good just by virtue of the commanders and that was fine I yeah. kind of wanted a commander like that and this deck was actually really strong well I think yeah I weirdly I think everyone knows the artifacts are the strongest type in Magic the Gathering mm. I think enchantments are close behind I think I probably agree with yeah. you on that yeah especially with some recent enchantress support like even just even just cards like um what's the two mana enchantress that's legendary now that people can build oh well, there's Sithis. Sithis, yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, like, reduces the... It's a... It's a Enchantress you can have in the command zone, and it costs two rather than three, which is yeah. great for everything else. You also gain a life and draw a card. It's wild. Adds up a lot over the course of the game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically, if you're going to be building a deck like this one, I would say have enough synergy in the 99 that your deck works mm. without the commander. Basically build it without the commander and then chuck the commander in at the end. See, I, yeah, I'm now thinking about like the way I've built my Scarabgod deck like we were mm. talking about just a second ago. I think that I could choose a different legendary creature in the command zone that did some graveyard stuff, put Scarab got in the 99, and the deck would function fine. Like, I, I have ways of agree. making a really wide board full of zombies. Mm. I have ways of reanimating really big, powerful creatures for really cheap and yeah. cheating their mana cost. Yeah, I'm thinking about some other decks as well. Like, I think another deck that does this really well is my Phylaf deck. Yeah. Phylaf is, like, an incredible... It's Avenger and Zendikar in the command zone. Mm. Love that. Yeah. But it's also a landfall deck. Mm. Like, I could not cast Avenger and Zendikar at all. I still have Rampaging Bailoths. Yeah. I still have, like, Scoot Swarm. I mm. still have, like, all of these cards that love having lands enter the battlefield. Or, you know, for example... What's the big 5-7 that doubles land ETBs? Oh. The one from Zendikar. Oh. And you can play lands from Ancient your graveyard. Ancient Green Warden. That's the one. Ancient yeah. Green Warden. I have that in the deck. So, like, mm. you know, the second that's in, in the, on the battlefield as part of the 99... The landfall's happening. Yeah, and to be honest, it becomes my commander. Yeah. Like, it's so strong. It's, like, really good. I think Firelife is another one of my decks that mm. just, like... I could ignore my commander for the entire game and it still do a thing. I think landfall decks in general are one of those that you can build sort of like... You can you can have a commander in the command zone that has a landfall ability like yours mm. and it makes the deck work a lot more consistently. But yeah, equally, you know, Mina and Den just lets you play more lands and that deck just has every landfall trigger in it that you can possibly think yep. of. Works great. It's a really, really strong deck. Yeah. I think that like other decks that I'm thinking of, like Liesa, probably doesn't need Liesa on the battlefield to to win. No, it's I, kind of just like a hate bears deck more than anything. Like well, a, I've well I've changed it now recently. Oh, have I, you? I've taken because I realized with Liesa, why am I putting more tax effects on the table? I want people to cast a lot of spells. Oh. So I've I've taken the stacks and the tax effects out because I think that 
if Liesa is on the battlefield and everyone's storming out and casting all the spells, mm, that's I'm the winning win the game. Coming, right? yeah. yeah, but the rest of the deck is actually just a pretty good enchantment life gain deck. Right. Cause so you can stay propped up yeah. while, while everyone's... So I've got a lot of like drain effects yeah, that cool. kind of keep me above everyone else and just keep me protected. So I could not cast Liesa for a long time and just win by War of Attrition yeah. and just drain everyone out with other effects. You can almost build it as a group hug commander, to be honest. Like I, you could give people like loads of mana yeah. and loads of cards and then be like, go on, cast spells. I have looked into <laughs> this. I desperately want a keen duelist for the deck as well. Oh, I've not I have, love that card. Do, don't even have one in my Yuriko deck either, which is oh. wild. I just missed the card completely. It's it's a um, pre-con commander card, so mm. I, don't, I don't blame you for missing it. But yeah, this is the the Bob. So, you know, you reveal top cutting library, lose life equal to its mana value, except you you do it with an opponent and you lose life equal to their card and they lose life equal to your card. So in your Yuriko deck... I could dome someone for 16 with yeah. Draco, which would be... Oh, a lot of fun. Lovely. A lot of fun. So the, the last chunk of this episode um, is... What about Voltron? Yeah, this, this is the glass cannon archetype. Yeah, and speaking about essential decks in the... Essential commanders, like your Voltron yeah. deck typically... The commander is the wing con, so yeah, it's essential. You're not building right? Valduck with uh, with the ninety nine in mind. No, <laughs> you're building it to be like I'm casting this, I'm swinging, I'm killing. <laughs> yes, but is there a way that we can take some of this philosophy of not relying solely on the commander? into our approach of building Voltron. I think there is. And um, I'd like to point to another deck I built recently. I talk about this one a lot in the podcast. My Mowu Loyal Companion deck. Wow, what deck is this? Is this like a white-blue deck, Walt? I've not heard of Mowu before. It's green. It, is it like, is it a, like a, a, is it a cat deck? It's is, green. It's green. It's like, I, I, I'm kind of thinking about like how this deck works. It's, it's, I've not heard about this at all on this podcast. It's green. <laughs> <laughs> My Mo, my Mo Loyal Companion deck. Uh, if you a, haven't heard about it before. What are you doing here? Yeah. Go, go back. No. Well, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. This is clearly the first episode you've listened to. So Mo Loyal Companion is a four mana, three, three with trample and vigilance. Uh, he's he's a, green for three and a green. He's a good boy. He's a very good boy. The best boy, you might even say. Uh, and he says, if one or more plus one counters would be put on Mo that many plus one are put on him instead. So... It's totally feasible to make this a Voltron deck, right? You just yep. stack it with a million effects that put plus one counters on Mowu. He doubles them. He has Trample. He has Vigilance. Cool. Cooking with gravity. That sounds... Vigilance, Trample on a Voltron commander are like two very nice keywords. Yeah. Like I mean, I've got my um, Elf Ball deck and it has Vigilance and Menace. And it's a... Yeah. Not yeah. Trample, but Menace is pretty hot. And like yeah. that just screams, make this as big as you can. Yes, absolutely. And like I've definitely won with commander damage before. Like Voltron is a total... It's a strat in the deck. It's something I point out in the Rule Zero conversation because it is something that can mm-hmm. happen. But really importantly, I wanted to build a deck that could win without him. Mm-hmm. And it has. It has won the game without Mowo on the battlefield before. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly a just plus one counters matter deck now. Um, so it still can put plus one counters on Mowu, but it can also do some other things. So how do you build a deck where you don't have to go all in on the one commander? Well, you have a few other different avenues you can go down. So... One of them is I have other creatures in the deck that want to be 
Voltrond. <laughs> in quotation marks. The uncommon card that can't be in your command zone. Yeah. Voltron me, Voltron yeah, me. Basically. <laughs> um, so I have uh, Iridescent Horn Beetle in Cards the deck. Wild. It's so funny. So at the beginning of your end step, you make a 1 1 green insect for each plus one county you've put on creatures you control this turn. So yeah, this becomes a lot of insects very quickly and turns your go tall into a go wide, which it can, is really good. I've seen this card come down and like. 20 insects be made on that turn. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. It can do that. The other day I was playing a game and I realised I had lethal because I forgot I had Renata called to the hunt on the battlefield. Oh, and all of them came in with additional plus one counters? I also had Kami mm. of Whispered Hopes on the battlefield, which says if one or more plus one counters we put on a creature you control that many plus one are instead. So you so made I had like three threes. Three threes. Holy hell. And then I cast another way, well I'll go into that in a second, but there's win cons as well, which I'll mention in a second for that. How is your doesn't normally not just labelled win cons? <laughs> I mean, it's close enough. Yeah. Um, but there's another card that wants to be Voltron in the deck, which is Herd Bailoth. Um, this is the one that says, if one or more plus one counters we put on Herd Bailoth, make a 4-4 beast. It's pretty good. It's like, it's um, Rampaging Bailoths, but plus one counters. Yeah, straight <laughs> yeah. up. Straight up. It does say if one or more, so you have to be careful about not doing like... Trying to do lots of instances of plus one counters. Yeah, you don't not... want to do like, put five plus one counters on yeah. Herd Bailoth, because that's one beast. You want mm. like, put a plus one counter on Herd Bailoth. Put a plus on counter on her bay love, etc. Maybe that's a way to balance landfall, is whenever one or more lands enter the battlefield. Because, mm. yeah, if you... That would be much... I might be unplayable. <laughs> yes, because scapeshift becomes really bad then. Yeah, you know, like those... well, anything that gets more than one land, like even your... Myriad like, Landscape sucks, claim. Sucks, Yeah, Myriad yeah. Landscape, all that stuff. Yeah. Not so good. So, yeah, so those are other creatures that want to get plus on counters put on them. So that's mm -hmm. one alternate avenue I can go down, besides Mowu. But I also have other ways of just ending the game in general. So, yeah, um... Thunderfoot Bailoth was the way I won that game with the Iridescent Horn Beetle. This card is so sick. So big. <laughs> it's so big. It's like a it's like a six mana it might be a six mana seven seven or something crazy. Oh it effectively is because it's a five five that says as long as you control your commander, it's a lieutenant trigger. It's a lieutenant trigger, trigger yeah. Um creatures you control and herd bailoff. Oh well creatures in control includes herd bailoff. Get plus two plus two and have trample. Yeah, it's one of those out of nowhere, you know, cast, you know, ch chatters happening around the commander table. Walt goes, right, I'm casting Thunderfoot Bailoff. And we're like, yeah, yeah, cool. That's not a threat. Then Walt's like, all right, go to attacks. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I'm swinging at you for 50, trample, yeah. you for 30, trample, you for 20, trample. You're yeah. like, wait, what? How did this happen? <laughs> How, why is your board so big? <laughs> yeah, it's it really comes out of nowhere. And it's just a static effect as well. So it, protects it also has from... ward, doesn't it? Does it, it have ward? No, it no, doesn't have ward. I'm thinking no, of another one. No, maybe not. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it does enough. But it doesn't need yeah, ward. Yeah, it's pretty strong. Um, I also have a card, uh, a primeval protector in there. I also think this card is just fun. This is the 11 mana, 10 and a green. It's for a 10-10. Enter the battlefield, you put a plus one counter on each other creature you control. But it costs one less for every creature your opponents control. Wow, I don't think I've seen you cast this card. It's pretty sick. That's nuts. So you can pay a green. If there are 10 other creatures on the battlefield that aren't yours... It's a green 10-10 that buffs your entire ball by, by one. plus one counters. That's yeah. huge. It's super sick. I love that. Yeah, really, really good. So yeah, basically, the way to not go Voltron in my Mowu deck was, yeah, having other creatures don't be Voltron, other ways of ending the game. And you can do exactly the same thing when you're looking at your Voltron commander that you're mm. thinking of building or whatever. Just include other avenues you can go down that aren't put everything on my commander, swing for 21 damage with my commander. Yeah, so look, we've we've talked about this pretty explicitly in the deck building episodes when we talk about win cons. Mm. And like when you build a Voltron deck, your win con is commander damage. Yes. That is a win con in your deck. Mm. If you go all in, like all in on that Voltron win con strategy, 
you will not likely win. Yeah, um, is is what I'm gonna like say pretty like flat out. But you've also missed the other part of our deck building episode, which is include alternative win cons. Mm. Like. In your deck, you should be able to say, right, this card is the way I win. Like, Overwhelming Stampede is one that we talk about a lot. Mm. But I need another way of winning if, you know, someone's got a Ghostly Prison. Yeah. You know, if someone's got a Ghostly Prison, my Overwhelming Stampede is terrible because I have to pay two for each of those attacking creatures now. Yeah. So maybe a... It, with a board that's really wide, something like Goblin Bombardment yeah. is an incredible way to get around that because you sacrifice all your creatures at the perfect opportune moment and kill someone with direct damage. Mm. The same thing applies when you're building Voltron strategy. Yeah. Voltron, yes, your commander is the win con because that 21 damage, no matter what someone's life total is, that is a way to kill them. Yeah. But when someone sees that that's what your deck strategy is, your Voltron commander is a target. It's mm. like screaming, kill me or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. So you have to be prepared to mm. go down a different avenue, put some, put it all on something else or yeah. have a way that... Have yeah, a fling in the deck even. A fling in a Voltron deck is so good. Mm. So good. I actually play in my Mowu deck. I can't play fling. Obviously I'm in green, but I have Ram Through. Ram Through is incredible. So sick. It basically is a fight uh, bite spell. So your creature you control does damage equal to its power to type creature an opponent controls. But then if it has Trample, it the excess damage is dealt to the player who controlled that creature. Yeah, it's like it's like a pseudo combat step, right? It's yeah. kind of like you said, like my creature attacks and your creature blocks, but we're not in combat. <laughs> Much more Yu-Gi-Oh than Magic yeah, the Gathering, probably, actually. Yeah, probably. But yeah, like if you with Mowu, if I have like twenty counters on Mowu go to combat, someone tries to remove it. It's like cool. Um, I'm gonna fight your one-one here and deal nineteen damage to you. Yeah, the the thing to be aware of, obviously, combat damage is the only way you can get commander damage. Yeah. Twenty-one damage dealt this way would not be lethal commander correct i remember when we were like really new in commander and we thought that it was 21 damage however it was dealt yeah and my niv mizzet perun deck was just unbeatable (laughs) just wheel one time yeah Yeah. kill everybody we used to play a lot of 1v1 commander at the time as well and i literally just felt like it was an unwinnable game i was like cool if you like cast your commander and draw 21 cards i lose i actually remember when you like found that rule and you came out of your room and was like niv it's not as good as we think it is. And I was like, <laughs> blasphemy. If, uh, heathen. What, what is this? Blasphemy. Um, and then we kind of, to be honest, I was actually so relieved that that was the rule because then it like opened Balanced the, the yeah, game. Yeah, 100%. And it also made me like at the time when I had that deck as a casual deck, not as a really high powered deck, it made me rely less on the commander. I had to really mm. think about how I built the deck to not just draw a bunch of cards and yeah. kill people. I had to have ways of killing you mm. outside of just Get pinging you 21 back, times. Copy yeah. spells, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, keep in mind, if you are going to go all in on your commander, you are going to be building a glass cannon. So you can do that, but you should go in with your eyes open and mm. like be aware that that's what you're doing. Is yeah. The main thing. See yeah. other avenues and be prepared for people to target you yeah. is my two advice. Straight up. So, Commander as a format is all about that creature in your command zone, but you don't have to rely on that creature all the time and build a glass cannon. You may find more enjoyment by building a deck that doesn't need the commander to stick around for very long, or one where the commander is a win con. Alternatively, you may enjoy the deck building challenge of building a deck that doesn't need its commander at all, and find all your synergy in the 99 other moving pieces of the deck. Most importantly, if you are going to build a glass cannon, know that you're going to build one and have reasonable expectations around that. So, Space Space Commanders, Commanders, command received! And if you really want to build a glass cannon, I'm really shocked we didn't mention her in this episode, build a phage deck. 
A phage, the untouchable. If, if you build a phage deck, you are 1000% either building it as like a, I'm not, well, you either build it one or two ways, right? You build it uh, just a mono black deck list mm-hmm. and never cast phage because if you do, <laughs> you lose the game. Yeah. Or you build it around phage, getting her out of the command zone into your hand. So if, weird. You have to have like command beacon. Command beacon yes. becomes like a win con in your deck. <laughs> no, it becomes the only way. It becomes the key, not a win con. No. It becomes the key to turn that engine it on. It doesn't win you the game. It, it, does it starts nothing. your journey towards maybe winning. Yes. The game. <laughs> yeah. Wild well, deck. To the listeners out there, do you feel commanded? What do you think of the glass cannon as an idea? And what has been your experience when you've played decks like that? Yeah, and share us your deck lists as well. I mm. love when you know we've done a couple of episodes talking about archetypes of decks. Yeah. And I've gotten a list from someone that's like, hey, you guys were looking at solving a problem. This deck list, I think, solves that problem. I love that. Um, so if you've got a Voltron commander that isn't reliant on the Voltron commander, mm. send us the list. I'm yeah, interested. We definitely want to see it. So the best, you can get in touch with us uh, by adding us on Twitter. You can send us an email or you can join our Discord server. All these are linked in the show notes. Uh, the Discord server is probably the best one to go to because you chat with us and other members of our playgroup. Uh, but also definitely follow us on Twitter to see our thoughts on upcoming cards, sets, events, Magic the Gathering stuff. We, we're usually pretty active on there, reposting mm. stuff and um, replying to people. So if you want to see just our general, you know, short term <laughs> thoughts on things. I'll give you the credit here. You're on our Twitter quite a lot. Yeah, mostly it's um, my, my yeah. thoughts, I will say. <laughs> but I mean, I share a lot of them. And to be honest, I have been scrolling through um, specifically for Lord of the Rings. I'm so yeah. keen for this. If you want to chat with us about Lord of the Rings set, we're A, going going to a pre-release right now. So if you're somehow listening to this live... <laughs> get out of my house. Yeah, get um, out of Walt's house. You're not welcome. <laughs> uh, but, like, genuinely, I reckon I'll be drafting uh, Lord of the Rings on Arena. So yeah. if you guys want to, like, see our thoughts on, like, standard or the limited environment at the moment, mm. jump on Discord, follow us on Twitter. I think it's a really exciting time to play limited mm. and standard also um give us a follow on twitch we actually did a one-off uh, well, i did a one-off stream the other day where i did some limited and yeah. speaking of lord of the rings limited i would be totally open to doing a lord of the rings draft and just geeking out about all the things i love about oh, lord of the rings i'm actually okay this is actually not in our script okay. to be aware do you want to do a team draft like we will stream together but we'll draft together Hey, that could be fun. I think that's a great idea, right? All right. F- follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitch. Yep. We're going to do a stream where me and James draft together. We're, we're going to build a deck. We're going to try and get this episode out relatively soon <laughs> so we can do this stream together. Yeah. That sounds like a great that, idea. I'm actually so hyped for that. that it's going to be such a shit build because I'm going to be like, oh, draft all the Saruman um, instant spells. <laughs> like, you got to do the copy spell thing and you're like, Horn of Gondor. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And look, if you really want to support what Walt and I are doing, yes, following us and engaging with our content is an incredible way to do it. But you can actually support us by going to our Patreon page and giving us some money directly to make what we do even better, Mm. getting us better equipment, doing some exciting things in a video format, merch possibly, who knows. someday, yeah. Um, But we would like to specifically thank our patrons at the end of every episode. So thank you to our patron, Stella Tam, um, and a very special shout out to Fletcher Cutting for supporting us in 
in the Space Commander tier. Fletch, you're the best. It's true, you are. And also, of course, thanks to Palms Off Gaming, who sponsor this podcast. They make some really fantastic deck boxes, sleeves, binders, other gaming accessories. They also have a podcast themselves you can go and mm -hmm. check out. Uh, you can see all their stuff that they do over at palmsoffgaming.com.au. Now, as is tradition, well, we're going to planeswalk out of Magic the Gathering mm. into somewhere else. What's been going on in the world of Walt? Well, I'd like to do... A double planeswalk. Double planeswalk. Special sound effect. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> pew, pew. <laughs> Did you play laser tag this weekend? Uh, not play laser tag this weekend. <laughs> Just a strange man. Um, it's Look, with a big planeswalk out of magic and then a small planeswalk between these two places. We're planeswalking okay. into music. All right, I'm in there. I'm a musician. Uh, yep. Yeah, we're, we're planeswalking first into um, an EP that some friends of mine released actually recently. They're called The Sleep-Ins. I've been to The Sleep-In yeah. show with you. I've met Sean. Um, yes, yeah, so these Sean guys are the, incredible. writes most of the music. He's a really good friend of mine. But they just released their debut EP. I'm so excited. So they, they used to be called um, something different, but they're now just The Sleep-Ins. Yeah. Uh, and they released their EP. It's got four tracks on it. I've been like seeing them all the time. They're really, really catchy. They're sort of like a, you know, I think they call themselves like a prog rock, like an alt rock kind of thing. Like indie rock maybe would be an, an accurate yeah. way of describing no, it. No, well. I had a chat with the drummer and um, prog rock is a very like specific genre of rock where, you know, the time signatures are warped or oh, you, know, you okay. do interesting stuff. And the, the drummer is really on board with making it interesting in that backbeat section. Oh, cool. Yeah. When we went to that concert, it was really eye-opening. I was like, oh, bands are still doing this? Like, it's so cool. This Sweet. is a very 80s kind of thing to try. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah. They're, they're, they're really, really good. I highly recommend checking them out. They're on, like, old streaming platforms, Bandcamp, all that stuff. Sweet. I'd also like to do a little, then, small... Uh, additional planeswalk um, to some of you might remember from a planeswalk ages ago that I was writing some lyrics for my brother who makes music. Mm, yes. So he's Dante called Fierro. Dante Fierro. Yeah. It's his <laughs> DJ name. It's not his actual name, but don't look up his actual name. Dante Fierro <laughs> is what he's called everywhere. Um, I I can't say that the song that I wrote lyrics for is released yet. That one's still on oh, the way. Okay. Very sad. But my brother has just released his debut EP. Wow. This is basically a music podcast now. <laughs> We're shouting out two underground musicians straight up go check them out uh, very different to the sleep-ins my brother makes uh, like EDM music so dance mm. music very like sort of um you know, tropical house pop kind of like thing. Really, really catchy and really like just sort of pleasing to listen to. Like very sort of upbeat and good for a workout. Great for a workout yeah. for sure. So his new EP is called Remedy. Um, so you can look him up, Dante Fierro on Spotify, other streaming platforms. Doesn't have a Bandcamp yet, but I'm begging him to make one because I know I would like to buy his album. I know others would be the same. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Remedy by Dante Fierro. Go go check that one out as well. It's real. I've been listening to it. It's got some really. He did a remix of a song that a vocalist he's worked with released recently which yes, is kind of cool a little like collaboration they did um yeah a few other tracks that are just sort of like different iterations of uh things that he's trying and he's like production quality because i've i've been listening the full journey yeah of his music. seeing it evolve and yeah get better and better he's gotten so much better specifically at mixing like when you when you listen to this this ep now you're really like wow the the like the EQ of like where the bass is, the and sound where, staging, yeah, and yeah. like the um the panning as well, like when stuff's in uh, one ear and not the other. He's yeah. done like a lot of playing with it. He says it's really hard to learn how to like put all the stuff in the right place on the track, but he said he's feeling better about it. And like, yeah, it's the best music I've heard him make. Amazing! I am so glad we're shouting out um 
specifically like Melbourne artists. Mm. Um, I have a, obviously a very deep love um, to Melbourne's music scene as being a part of it for yep. a couple of years. And also, if I, I'm going to shout out another um, album mm-hmm. as well, as if that's it. okay. Yeah. Again, very different genre of music. But if you guys want to go listen to Beast by a band called Atriox, this is actually my old band mm. from um, my early uni days. I think we've talked about Atriox before as well. Yeah. yeah. Named after the um, Halo villain. Oh. Um, <laughs> Oh, that's fine. I like that. But they're um they just released their first EP. They're touring um the east coast of Australia in the next couple of months. Cool. They uh, you can actually if you go to the video on YouTube for Move, um you will see me and my partner Theo in the background of oh, those videos. Oh, is that that video? That's that video. That's we actually super early in your relationship with Theo. Well, that's actually where we kind of started dating. We kind of we had a Okay, this is this is a little bit of a good story. Um, <laughs> sorry to add extra minutes to the podcast, but we actually had a, a moment in that video where they wanted the director came out and asked the extras, "We want someone. We want a couple of people in the background kissing and making out in this um, video." And I, I'm just an idiot with a lot of confidence. So I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> and then the director was like, who would like to make out with James uh, for the next <laughs> 20 minutes? And Theo kind of just put their hands up and it was like an excuse for them and I to like kiss finally without like kiss with direction, which is really weird <laughs> as your first ever kiss. That is weird. Um, but it's, yeah, if you want to look at the music video for Move, I'm also at the end uh, in the big fight scene. Nice. Someone gets bottled with a sugar glass bottle and yeah. there's a big brawl. Go check it out. It's fun. It's really lovely being able to point to a piece of content that's at the beginning of your relationship. It's like a milestone. Me and my partner met doing a theatre show. Yeah. And there's like photos of us in that theatre show. So it's very funny seeing. Yeah. You can go back and be like, oh my God, this is like a week before we started dating. It's so cool. Very sweet. Well, go check all those pieces of music out and support Melbourne Music. Go to concerts. It's an incredible scene. Um, If you want to support us and the music scene, I will love you forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Completely (laughs) agree. Well, that's all we've got time for. So we'll see you next Friday for another transmission from the Space Commanders. Goodbye, Commander Place.